Will marijuana send your portfolio higher, or will e-cigs make it go up in smoke? If these are the questions you're asking, you're in the right place, because this is where the money is. Hi, fools. Welcome to Where the Money Is. We are not Matt Koppenheffer and David Hansen. Shockingly. Uh, shockingly. I'm David Williamson, and I'm joined by Michael Douglas, and this is the healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. So we're going to be focusing really on the healthcare industry, healthcare stocks. It's a bit of a change of pace, but I, we hope everyone's going to enjoy it. We're, we certainly uh, have high expectations for this. Uh, and we have a great show for you. It's, uh, it's pretty jam-packed. I, mm-hmm. I think Michael did a good tease just now. Uh, but you want to get right into it? Let's... All right. Well, it looks like uh, our first headline is we could be facing a new global pandemic. It doesn't really get any more serious than that, Michael. Uh, we've seen the headlines about MERS. There have been several cases now here in the U.S. Uh, this is something that came out of Saudi Arabia. It's now in 16 countries. Uh, it originated from camels, mm-hmm. and they just did a recent study of camels in Nigeria, Ethiopia, Tunisia, uh, and they found that it was in actually about – uh, you know, half of the camels in one southern pro- province of Tunisia, uh, and it's it's really potentially a lot more widespread mm-hmm. than people thought. Now, now MERS is uh, for those of you out there who aren't familiar with it, it's Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. It's related to SARS, uh, which was severe acute respiratory syndrome that was the pandemic. Uh, virus we were facing uh, a couple years ago. And really, this seems to be sort of the next in a series of pandemic viruses, right? We had uh, SARS and, and swine flu and, and avian flu. But, you know, I guess, Michael, what's, what's your take on this? Well, so, so of course, the immediate question people are going to ask is an investing show. Well, is there, is there some appropriate small cap pure play I can make here? And the answer is not, not really. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, not one that we'd recommend. Right. I mean, you've got Inovia. They've done some preclinical tests for a MERS vaccine that sort of worked in mice, but that's really, really early. Mice are not the same as humans. There's a long regulatory pathway to look at there. And so really nothing I would, uh, I would say um, to be too excited about there. Mm-hmm. That said, if you're interested in a... Um, Sort of a, a more a more vaccine focused stock. You know, I would uh, suggest something like Sanofi. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about Sanofi, they're a French drug maker. They're pretty big. They're pretty uh, well dispersed, and that means that you, especially if you're a new healthcare investor, you have kind of a, a lot of different. Um, Irons in the fire. And so there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, if one thing doesn't go well, for other things to go well. And they've done a lot in vaccines. They've currently got um, dengue fever, C. diff, and influenza vaccines in phase three, which is these sort of large scale final stage trials before hopefully regulatory approval. Um, and then they've also got, as I mentioned, sort of these other irons in the fire, Alirocumab, uh, which is a um, Part of a, a new set of cholesterol-beating drugs is partnered with Regeneron. Uh, it's called a PCSK9. We'll be talking more about that later in the show. Um, but, you know, Sanofi's got this kind of, um, they've got this, um, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, a lot of different opportunities, and I really like that. And they've got a lot of um, exposure to the sort of the developing world. Dengue fever, for example, is a big issue in Latin America and Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've seen extra interest in vaccines. Yeah. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline is really reorganizing itself to become more of a vaccine play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they swapped out their oncology business with Novartis's uh, vaccine business. Um, and so, you know, when, when you when you look at it, Pfizer obviously has probably the best-selling vaccine, Prevnar. It's a, it's a pneumonia vaccine. It's mm-hmm. a it's a blockbuster. These these drugs are a little more durable. So. Uh, than the typical patent cliff you, you see with a lot of drugs. So there is some attractiveness to it. Uh, and, and touching on those pure plays, too, which is funny, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Inovio. I, I love this quote. They, they, had, uh, they announced that they had a vaccine for MERS that showed a robust and durable response. 
in mice. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I think the thing is, too, investors need to remember when you're talking about um, these pandemics, as, as I sort of alluded to earlier, you know, I, I remember four just off the top of my head. These things come and go. So any real vaccine for them, uh, it takes a while to develop. You can't just have one on demand. Uh, by the time you're ready to roll with one, we're on to the next pandemic. So I don't think there's really a great way to play this as, as sort of a pure play. Uh, my, my best advice would be look at some of the bigger companies and uh, wash your hands so you don't get infected. Yourself. Sounds good. Well, let's uh, turn to e-cigs. E-cigs, and we, we got some we got some big news mm-hmm. on electronic cigarettes. Uh, this was a Reuters report mm-hmm. I saw. Uh, smokers uh, trying to quit are sixty percent more likely to have success if they switch to e-cigarettes uh, versus other nicotine alternatives or even just willpower alone. So this, it's it's pretty strong news for uh, for e-cigarette makers. Right, and of course. The immediate question people are going to ask is, how can I invest in these? And Lorillard is going to be your best option. That's the um, biggest player by far in the space. By, by far. Their Blue E-Cigs brand has about a 45% market share in the U.S., according to Nielsen. However, there are two major caveats with Lorillard that I think people need to be aware of um, just in their E-Cigs business. Um, the first is that Blue is under attack from a lot of different directions, right? You've got Altria rolling out their Mark 10 brand of E-Cigs. Um, they also just bought Greensmoke, which is an Internet supplier for uh, uh, and maker for 110 million, so the competition is going to heat up, mm-hmm. and that may erode that um, opportunity. Also, vaporizers, uh, which look more like see sort of these long pens with uh, little pipe mouth pieces at the end, um, have some potential benefits. And actually, Lorillard's CEO Murray uh, Kessler. Um, recently said uh, that vaporizers currently, and I quote, deliver a superior consumer experience that is bigger batteries, more vapor, more satisfaction, lower cost to refill. It's not often you, you admit you have an inferior product. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much what happened here. So, so definitely I think people will want to be watching that very closely, but also exercise some caution. Yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm in electronic cigarettes, but let's be honest, it's not a great business right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Lorillard did $51 million in quarterly revenue. Uh, their gross profit was $16 million. Their operating profit, an $11 million loss. Right. So they're not even making money on it, and they're the dominant player um, you know, doing about what two hundred million or so in sales. Now there there is expected to be a lot of growth here, but and you would expect the business to get more profitable. They they sort of have a uh, you know that razor and blade model, right? But it's not going to necessarily be as nice as the traditional cigarette business. So if the business does grow and it takes up more of their overall you know business picture, um, these aren't going to be as attractive. on a metric basis as they are currently. I mean, obviously selling cigarettes may not be sustainable long-term given some... For other reasons, right. ...given some health risks, but... uh, And speaking about health risks, it's sort of interesting the FDA recently cracked down on e-cigarettes a little bit too, but but not too bad. Uh, It will potentially change... Um, how the devices are updated. There's there's going to be about a two-year window where you can just uh, sell a new device on the market. Then they're going to have to go through an approval process like a medical device. So that could end up stifling some innovation. Or we might actually see a rush to market of a bunch of devices before they have to go through a whole rigorous FDA process of some kind. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, and, uh, and definitely something we'll be wanting to watch. Um, of course, in healthcare, one of the big things we always talk about is Obamacare. Always, always. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Obamacare has really, really just dominated the news cycle. It's been, and we talk about it just about every day. Yeah. Um, 
and so now now you're going to hear about it from us. Uh, but there's been really a lot of you know fear and concern over over certain parts of the law, and one of those big concerns is that premiums would potentially skyrocket mm-hmm. in year two, uh, that the patient mix wouldn't be very favorable, it would be older and sicker, uh, and therefore these insurers, not really knowing where to price premiums, will have you know wildly miscalculated. We'll see soaring premiums as these unhealthy people use a lot of uh, you know the benefit. Uh, sick people or people who have health insurance have been uh, shown to really use it. Uh, so that was a concern, but it looks like might not actually be the case. Uh, you know, there was a report that came out from the uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that showed that uh, federal and ex- state exchanges uh, premiums, uh, you know, were lower than anticipated, and uh, double-digit spikes should not be expected. Yeah, and actually, one, in one example in Denver, uh, a small group plan before the exchanges averaged four hundred forty-one dollars a month. Um, the cheapest silver plan, which is the one that costs covers sort of 70% of your general medical costs, um, costs $220 per month for a 27-year-old or uh, $375 a month for a 50-year-old. So significantly cheaper. And it's actually really interesting because uh, as we're starting to see some of the suggestions from insurers about the rates that they want to uh, want to look at for next year and what they're proposing to the state uh, insurance exchanges, um, really so far at least, not as bad as expected, which sort of bears out the idea of this study. Uh, most particularly, of course, Molina Healthcare. Yeah, which we hit on the other day. Yeah, suggested in Washington that they would like to lower their premiums by 7%. Which is unheard of. Right, completely. For, for those of you out there who aren't familiar, just completely unheard of. Either. Right. Getting uh, low increases is really considered a success in this industry. So yeah, um, I mean, that'd be like your apartment building saying, "Yeah, you know, what? we'd like to charge you seven percent less next year for your apartment." You know, <laughs> that that's never happened to me, at least. I can't speak to the rest of you. Um, well, and then you know, uh, insurers that have really jumped in and gotten into these exchanges have done really well. Like yeah, well, well point, point is really the. Uh, the one you see. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, they went out and they said from the beginning, we're going to have the largest footprint. We think it's going to be a land grab. We want to get as many new customers into our system as possible. We think there'll be a stickier relationship there. Uh, we saw a lot of the other insurers uh, not going to that many exchanges. United Health was in only just a handful. They recently said they were going to go into more exchanges next year. Um, and WellPoint, out of all of them, did the best in, in earnings regarding uh, Obamacare. Most people were saying, ah, oh, we might make a little, we might lose a little. WellPoint said, no, we, we did quite well with these exchanges. And from day one, they were predicting profitability. So really yeah. good news there. Definitely something people will want to watch closely. And, and you and I have generated a lot of content about this. So definitely uh, definitely check out fool.com for uh, more information on Obamacare. Yeah, at this point, I'm more concerned about hepatitis C drug pricing than I am uh, the Obamacare exchanges when it comes to these uh, insurers' profitability. But you know, we'll be covering that. That's uh, a story for yes, another day. For another day. Well, let's move into uh, our In Focus segment. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a, a deep dive at Pfizer and AstraZeneca. This has really been the dominant news story of the month so far. Uh, to catch you up, uh, if you haven't been following, Pfizer has been really in dogged pursuit of AstraZeneca basically all year. They made a quiet offer uh, right at the beginning of the year. Astra declined. Then uh, the story broke, and Pfizer came back with a vengeance, basically made negotiations public. Uh, they, in their CEO, Ian Reid, went over to the U.K., testified in front of the parliament. Uh, they made promises to keep jobs in the U.K., made several offers, and, and Pfizer recently made their fourth uh, best final offer. It was $118 billion. It was, it was pretty aggressive in, in its stock cash mix, which was seemed to be a holdup before. But AstraZeneca yet again said, 
no, we're not interested in this deal. Uh, there is still some time remaining on it, though. So if AstraZeneca shareholders, uh, which seem to be pretty upset, uh, Astra sold off about 10% when they rejected the offer. If they can uh, you know, push management into negotiations, we, we might actually see some sort of furthering of that uh, you know, deal or the talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly get some sort of, you can't necessarily get a revised offer, but they can maybe work something out under the UK takeover code. But it looks like, for all intents and purposes, the deal is done. And so the question is, if Pfizer can't take over AstraZeneca, you know, what's next for the company? Right. Um, well, and in, in, when we look at pharmace- pharmaceutical stocks like Pfizer, uh, when I think what's next, I immediately go to the pipeline. And I, I think, okay, well, what, what are the opportunities here? And pipelines, I think, for a lot of people can be kind of large and, and a little scary because you have all of these sometimes really weirdly named um, uh, drugs and they're in these different phases. Um, so I just want to pick out. I, I think with as with a lot of metrics or really anything you look at with an investment, you kind of have to pick out the important stuff. And so mm-hmm. there are two that I'd really like to highlight just very quickly. Um, remember that PCSK9 drug that I mentioned earlier, Alirakumab, um, that uh, Sanofi and Regeneron are partnered on? Well, Pfizer also has one. It's called Bocokizumab. Um, and it's a, it's a PCSK9 drug, just like the others, and it's in phase three trials. Um, it's definitely a potential, a potential blockbuster. Um, the peak sales estimates for this whole area have been kind of the billion to three or more billion range, um, which is a lot of money, even to someone as big as Pfizer. These are essentially next-generation cholesterol drugs. Right. And um, they're going to be used probably... They won't be the success of, say, a Lipitor or a mm. Crestor uh, just because they're going to be injected. They're, they're not a pill, uh, and their costs will be a lot higher. But they'll for, be largely for people who don't respond as well for those those statins, which are now basically all gone generic. Right. Well, and, and so I think there's a, a couple of risks, right? One of them is um, the cardiovascular benefit that these have because... It, it, to some extent, the FDA, I think, is less concerned with whether one sort of cholesterol goes down or another cholesterol goes up as, you know, does this help prevent heart attacks? Yeah. Uh, that's really well, that's the, the end result, right? That's really the yeah. issue. Um, and so we'll be wanting to see kind of that data as it comes out. Um, and then there are some potential uh, neurocognitive adverse events with the entire class that the FDA has indicated may be. So, again, something you'll want to watch very closely. But... Um, you know, there's always going to be risk with drugs. That's just part of the deal when you're investing yep. in pharma. Um, but these look like a pretty good opportunity. So what's your other drug in the pipeline? Uh, Pavlociclib. And that, this is a breast cancer drug for human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, or HER2, negative breast cancer. Um, it's a large unmet need population representing about 60% of advanced breast cancer patients. Um, this drug is being submitted for approval. Uh, that's known as uh, submitting a new drug application or an NDA next quarter. Um, and the potential here is really enormous, um, and they're actually submitting it before the, an expensive phase three trial, before actually conducting that, which normally they'd have to, but in this case, they're a breakthrough designation drug. And so there's this opportunity to maybe put it in early because of the unmet need, because of the really strong data they've had so far. I mean, they doubled progression-free survival um, in a patient population in a previous trial. So there's a lot of opportunity there, and this is a drug that could make a lot of money. So definitely something we'll want to watch closely. Yeah, I I'd lo- want to touch on the financial engineering aspect of this because I think that was really a large part of this deal in the short term. Yeah. Um, you know, Pfizer, for a little background, no stranger to mega mergers. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in uh, 2000, they acquired Warner Lambert for $90 billion. That's how they got Lipitor, which was the world's best-selling drug before it lost patent protection. It peaked at around 12 or $13 billion a year in sales. Right. Uh, in 2003, they bought uh, Pharmacia for $60 
$50 billion in 2009, Wyeth for $68 billion. And Pfizer's been really good about ringing out synergies for these companies. Um, that's partially what this is. This deal was about. Uh, it, it, it's what we've seen. It's called an inversion deal, and we've seen more of a trend of this. Companies fleeing the U.S. for foreign environments with lower tax rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.K. is becoming increasingly popular uh, because you get this lower tax rate. A lot of these companies have cash that's trapped abroad. Uh, certainly the case for Pfizer. Uh, they can now use that cash without having to repatriate it and uh, pay those U.S. taxes. And they're going to quite frankly, slash jobs, and, and Pfizer's CEO went over to the U.K. to, to promise not to slash the U.K. research uh, you know, jobs, but that means more jobs are going to get cut here and in other countries as well. So you know, that would have been a large part of it, and you know, it wouldn't really have been about adding AstraZeneca's current sales mm-hmm. to what Pfizer's doing now. Uh, because AstraZeneca's current financial situation isn't actually that great. They're not expecting to grow sales until 2018. It's really about uh, boosting Pfizer through these various uh, mechanisms of engineering in in the near term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also about uh, Pfizer's potentially splitting its business again in half, uh, which I'll get to in a second. And then also, as you mentioned with the pipeline, restocking the pipeline, AstraZeneca has uh, some interesting immuno-oncology drugs. Uh, These are cancer-fighting drugs that get your body's immune system to uh, fight the cancer. Uh, They're still pretty early in development. Uh, It came from its MedImmune acquisition, uh, which sort of brings me to Astra's pipeline in general. It's been actually not great for successes. Neither is Pfizer's, quite frankly, especially for their R&D spending. Uh, So you you take a look at these two companies and, you know, are you merging really great science together, you know, with this pipeline? Sure, it's going to be a huge pipeline, but how many hits will there really be in it? Uh, Of those, immuno-oncology, certainly very exciting. Um, You know, you, you take a look at, uh, you know what else could Pfizer, could Pfizer now go out and potentially acquire another company uh, because of inversion deal laws uh, and Pfizer's size? They're really limited into who they can look for. You know, maybe a Novo Nordisk or a Bayer, but the tax laws in those countries aren't as favorable as the UK. So I think Pfizer, what they're probably going to do at this point is double down on what everyone thought was their existing strategy before they chased AstraZeneca, which is uh, focus on these three divisions. They have one that's vaccines and oncology, one that's global pharma, which is basically everything else, and then established products, which are products off patent. Pfizer CEO Ian Reid has said repeatedly he sees them as uh, an innovative company and an established products company, which means that established products company is probably going to get split out mm-hmm. again. Uh, so that'll be potentially some value creation for Pfizer with that, uh, as we saw with animal health, nutrition. They got rid of those businesses. So I think Pfizer, you know, I don't think they're going to go hunting for any more mega deals mm-hmm. at this point. I think they're just going to really continue on with the strategy everyone thought they were on to begin with before they got out their elephant gun and, and went for a $120 billion merger. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to the mailbag. And uh, we, we got a great piece of mail from, uh, from Keith. And uh, he wrote, the NBA draft lottery was last night, and Cleveland won the first overall pick again. I think that's, what, their third time in four years? Anyway, if you were drafting a drug in development for your biotech, what would be your number one pick? Go Cavs, from Keith. 
Right. And first off, you know, make sure that you uh, send us emails at hc at fool.com. Just HC, like healthcare. We um, promise we'll read them. Yep, and, and we'll respond to them, too. Um, so my pick would definitely be the new immuno-oncology drug, uh, MK3475. That's the low-hanging fruit, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> you just took the LeBron James of drug development. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be very, very brief uh, about it. Uh, you know, it, it shuts off the mechanism that inhibits immune cells from attacking cancer. This kind of releases the brakes on the immune system is the way it's been put. Um, it's going to be uh, potentially approved on October 28th for a second-line indication in melanoma. So basically, after somebody fails your VOI, um, which is another drug on the market, uh, then this could uh, come in. Uh, ultimately, this drug is being uh, developed in partnership with a lot of other companies. Um, so uh, MK3475 is being partnered with uh, Amgen's Telemogene Laharparapivec, in a phase 1B and 2 trial. Um, and then um, Insight is also testing it, uh, uh, testing it with INCB24360 in non-small cell lung cancer. Overall, they're looking at over 20 um, uh, different tumors expressing this sort of PD-1 yeah. um, issue. Uh, and so I think that this could be a 3 billion plus drug, easy. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot well, of Well, most estimates are more in that uh, 5 or $6 billion range, yeah. which actually made me go for more of a boomer bus prod. Uh, go for it. You know, uh, Product, I, I I think uh, you know if I was running a, a pharma company or a team, I wouldn't go the boomer buster out. But because you uh, you took something that I think is going to be a mega blockbuster, I'm going to take what I think is the highest ceiling drug of all drugs. All right, and that is Alzheimer's drug BIIB037. Whoa, that's from, a bet from Biogen. <laughs> now now there's clearly clearly red flags with this drug, uh, and that's really just with all Alzheimer's drug development. Uh, but it uses the beta amyloid hypothesis, which uh, we're finding out may or may not actually be a valid hypothesis that these beta amyloid plaques uh, help um, end up you know, possibly causing Alzheimer's. Uh, the buildup of the plaques in paracognitive function, uh, it may not be true, like I said, so that, that could be a red flag. Uh, second, the drug's only through phase one testing. We generally assign no value to phase one drugs. Now, we will be getting phase one, two results uh, in the back half of this year, so that that could be exciting. Um, you know, so far the drug's been essentially side effect free. It's uh, very much more potent than the beta amyloid drugs that failed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one by Eli Lilly that looked like it might be working, but um, you know, came close, didn't quite. They're running another trial, and they're running another trial because this market is huge, yeah. and there's no competition. You know, the, the amount of people living with dementia is expected to double to 65 and a half million by 2030. Alzheimer's itself, though, is much less than that. You know, we're looking at more like five to seven million. Uh, but if effective, this drug would capture the majority of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't, remember, this isn't, wouldn't be a cure. This would be something that would arrest cognitive decline. So it's something you would have to essentially take forever right. once you were diagnosed. Uh, this is the type of drug that could crack into the, you know, $10 billion area on peak sales. I wouldn't go that high with it, certainly. Uh, but I think six, seven, eight billion, if it works, is completely uh, reasonable. Uh, Biogen has a couple other drugs in development for Alzheimer's as well, a base inhibitor, something to work on tau tangles. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to like in terms of Alzheimer's development for Biogen. But, uh, you know, again, uh, high, no, high risk, high reward. There's nothing but failure in Alzheimer's development so far. So, right. you know, that's certainly a problem. But uh, why not? Let's swing for the fences, Michael. Roll right, the dice. Let's move on to the game uh, segment, which will be fun. We're going to play. Uh, we're going to play. Would you rather? And uh, let's uh, let's see uh, 
Oh, you're up first? Yeah, would you rather, David, would you rather short J&J or buy Dendrion? <sighs> man. Uh, I'd rather... Man, if I short J&J, it's just going to grind me slowly negative. You're going to lose no matter what. Yeah, and so I think I would probably be forced to, to buy Dendrion and hope that the trial results... Uh, that they're running with uh, Johnson Johnson's prostate cancer drug, Zaytiga, uh, that'll play out in 2015. I would have to hope they would be positive. Uh, Dendrion is a huge debt payment uh, that if they don't do anything about would potentially bankrupt the company or what I anticipate there'll be some sort of negotiation and severe dilution for Dendrion shareholders. But you don't ever want to bet against something like Johnson & Johnson. I mean, it's, it's, it's a stalwart. It's a blue-chip stock. So yeah. I really have, have no choice here than to just take the risky play and, and cross my fingers and, and hope for the best <laughs> rather than just grind out losses every year. That sounds, uh, sounds like no fun. Right. I, all right. Sounds good. All right, Michael. I, I, I have one for you. Would you short mankind or buy mankind? Now, this is the inhaled <sighs> insulin maker. It's been on a huge run. It's up 40% over the last year, about yeah. 300, what, 50%, I think, over the last two years. Right. So would you short it or would you buy it? Um, ultimately, I'm going to say I'm going to short it. Uh, I would short it if, uh, if I had to. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very happy just staying out of it completely. Um, but so mankind, uh, as you mentioned, inhalable insulin, a Frezza, um, it uh, the advisory, the FDA advisory committee overwhelmingly supported it for both uh, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, but to be fair, the advisory committee also, to be fair, less overwhelmingly, also supported it last time when it failed. When the FDA said, no, actually, we're, we're yeah, going to ignore it. the advisory committee yep. and reject the drug. This is their third time in front of the FDA. Now, I think third time is going to be the charm. But... Then you uh, have to sell it. Right. The problem then is commercialization, right? So Pfizer had uh, Exubra uh, at one point, and it was such a failure commercially that it uh, that they ended up pulling it from the market. And I, I fear that the same thing could happen with Afreza, especially because Mankind doesn't have any sort of marketing partner. They're going to theoretically do this alone. Um, and there are some sort of potential lung issues uh, with the drug that, um, if they bore out, could become... Uh, a a sticking point for doctors uh, to support the drug. So um, I'm going to so go ahead and say I'd short it. Short mankind. Yeah. All right, David. What do you have up for me? <sighs> would you buy Vivas or would you buy Arena? <sighs> it's neither a choice. Because yeah. I think I'd probably, uh, all things being equal, I'd probably buy the third obesity drug maker, Orexigen, mm-hmm. which has Contrave in development. It actually was the only drug that received a positive advisory committee vote its first time around when they were all three were rejected. Right. Uh, it was stuck running this large cardiovascular safety trial, drug safe. Uh, it'll be up for FDA review. I actually think that's probably the best mix of efficacy and safety between the three. If you're making me choose between Vivas and Arena, though, man, um, probably Arena, I think, just because uh, they have a marketing partner, which Mm -hmm. I like. Vivas... uh, is, is really struggling. We've seen prescriptions fall. They, you know, sales are about, they doubled to 9 million. Right. Um, you know, Arena also is going for additional indications for Belvique, so, so potentially, um, you know, there could be a kicker there, but uh, I would prefer not to buy either of them if, if, if that's a choice. Uh, the obesity drugs have really all been a flop. Uh, yeah. I don't necessarily know that Orexigen will succeed either. It's, it's tough to I think convince doctors to prescribe a drug uh, when diet and exercise uh, have generally worked just fine. Um, you know, these aren't dramatic weight loss pills either. Uh, so um, it, it's been a tough space, uh, certainly tough sledding for, for all of them, and, and their stock performance shows that. But I think if you made me choose gun to my head, I'd say Arena, which is funny because before 
everything, I probably would have said Vivas, but because uh, the drug's a little more efficacious, but I think some of the safety issues have really deterred doctors. And uh, your turn, I think. All right, well, up last we have, would you rather buy Ariad or buy Exelixis? Now, now Michael, to, for a little reference, these are obviously both bad news buys. Both stocks uh, took a stumble a little bit. Ariad had some safety issues with their drug at Clusig. It was mm-hmm. briefly pulled from the market. Exelixis did not have a drug trial stopped early, unlike its two competitors, Johnson & Johnson and Medivation in prostate cancer. Yeah, so uh, between these two, I'm going to pick Axelexis in a heartbeat. Uh, and the reason is... I should have made it tougher. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, so first off, the, um, the drug, Cometric, you know, is already on the market for one indication, and they're looking for a, an expansion into uh, prostate cancer. Um, they also have a much more expansive pipeline. They've got a lot of opportunities. Um, uh, they're partnered with folks like Sanofi, Bristol-Myers, and Merck. I mean, think of uh, a drug portfolio like a stock portfolio, right? Like, you want to not put all your eggs in one basket. You want to have kind of like these different ideas so that some of them will pan out well. Um, Ariad has got all their eggs pretty much in the occlusive basket. They've got one other drug in, I think, phase two. Um, and with the blood clot danger issues with the drug, um, I think it seems like that Eclusic will basically be used as kind of like a last line of defense. Um, so I think Exelix has got a lot more uh, upside and a lot more opportunity, especially because with all these different drugs, hopefully at least a couple of them will end up coming to market and do well. And also the fact that they, they're partnered with all these people indicates that those other companies are confident, which is a second check mark. Mm-hmm. So I'd say Exelixis. I take Exelixis too. Yeah. I think that's the right call. All right, well, let's move on to Tweet It, which is always a popular segment. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a favorite of mine to, to watch, and uh, I'm excited now that we're going to do it. So uh, our first tweet for today uh, comes from Robert Langrith, which is Snoopy the sarcoma smeller could be coming to a cancer center near you. And this is off Bloomberg's reporting that cancer-sniffing uh, dogs offer a new testing option, which is pretty, it was a pretty remarkable story. There was a, a German shepherd named Tsunami that had yeah. a 90% accuracy at detecting cancer. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, Michael, are, are dogs the next big thing in medical devices? Do <laughs> the robotic surgery makers have something to worry about? Are they not going to be the, uh, the cool kid on the block anymore? Yeah, well, I think that's kind of hard to say right now, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I... I I, unfortunately, there is no way that I know of that you can invest in cancer-smelling dogs. <laughs> uh, I, I, I regret that. But um, I think one, if you're interested in things that help identify cancer, there is one stock, um, Exact Sciences, which is ticker EXAS. Um, they have a test called Colaguard, uh, which is a stool-based DNA non-invasive colorectal cancer screening test. Mm-hmm. Um, you can probably guess how they gather their information. I'm going to leave it there. Um, and this would not be instead of a colonoscopy, sorry guys, but it would be in addition to a colonoscopy. Um, and their last trial, which had about 10,000 patients in it, found that Colaguard identified uh, 92% of the colorectal So cancer. slightly better than Tsunami, the German Shepherd. Right, right, pretty, pretty close. <laughs> Statistically, probably about the same uh, in average risk patients. So that's, that's uh, an interesting play. Um, peak sales of Colaguard could be as high as $1 to $2 billion. So there's some opportunity there, and uh, it's an interesting stock. Yeah, I think that's an interesting find because you really can't s- scale up the, uh, the cancer-sniffing dogs either because yeah. it's not like they're just walking up to people and saying, you have cancer and you don't. They're right. Given, they were given samples that they... They could identify. Uh, the, the only other thing I would say is Myriad Genetics has mm. the BRAC analysis. That's true. Uh, but they recently lost patent protection on that. With the, it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. So there are some competitors coming out. Uh, Quest Diagnostics uh, is working on one. So uh, I think it's going to be good for consumers' costs for that will come down. This is what Angelina Jolie uh, tested positive for, mm-hmm. uh, which really almost assures that you'll have breast cancer if you test positive for these genes. Right. Uh, and... Um, 
so I think it's good that, that testing will be cheaper. Um, but uh, I don't know if that's something you want to invest in right now. Right. All right, well, let's move on to our next tweet, uh, which is from German Lopez, which uh, says, Legal pot created thousands of jobs in Colorado, and higher revenue could lead to more. And you see a nice little chart there of showing how marijuana sales are, are skyrocketing. Now, if marijuana sales are skyrocketing, Michael, uh, you know, our marijuana stocks also skyrocketing. We get asked almost daily, uh, should I invest in marijuana stocks, you know, pot stocks, is this the next big thing? And our answer is almost universally always no, and if you see one, run the other way screaming like it's Godzilla destroying your city. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, I mean think about advanced cannabis solutions as an example. Um, you know, they lease growing space to licensed marijuana business operators. Um, they've got a market cap just under $200 million. Since inception, they have made a total revenue of $49,000, and they've lost $1.3 million uh, in uh, uh, net loss. Um, you don't have to be particularly value-oriented or a disciple of Warren Buffett or <laughs> Benjamin Graham to recognize that that is kind of a losing proposition, at least thus far. Now, that isn't to say that there's never going to be a good pot stock. There probably will be. But right now, it's kind of the wild, wild west, and Absolutely. things just don't look that great. No, we'll let you know when it, when it shows up. The moment we do, we yeah. know about it. But we I mean, will we'll talk. just see a number of SEC violations, and, mm-hmm. and some of it is, you know, I think these stocks just sort of, they're new companies and they're figuring out their way. I, you know, I don't think it's all... Um, you know, mal, you know, intentioned right. uh, SEC violations. But you generally want to stay away from companies that are uh, getting the attention of the SEC. It's a, it's a good rule of mine. It's, it steered me clear of danger. Uh, I, I think when you talk about uh, pot stocks, you see GW Pharma mm-hmm. uh, mentioned. These are stocks that are using uh, sort of the cannabinoid pathways. Um, you know, marijuana, and also uh, other companies that are using sort of marijuana-based drugs uh, in drug development. Um, you know, th- that's an interesting way to play it, but that actually has nothing to do really with, you know, marijuana sales in, in any state. So uh, I-, I agree it's the Wild West, and I think it's a, it's a stay-away sector for everyone for right now for their portfolios. Right. All right, well, our next tweet is from Eric Holm, who writes, Bill Ackman tries to get those digits fails, which is probably my favorite tweet, I think, of this week. And uh, it's regarding uh, Bill Ackman trying to contact... Uh, Allergan's board. He's saying their CEO, who uh, is solely responsible for negotiations uh, with Valiant, uh, is biased because he would lose his job if uh, Valiant's proposed takeover of Allergan were to happen. Right. Well, and this has just been kind of a nasty, uh, a really nasty just set It got ugly really quickly. Yeah. Um, Which, not to say that the AstraZeneca-Pfizer thing's been friendly, per se, but it's really not been, I think, quite as personal as this It's been professional. Yes. Um, That said, you know, I think there's there's going to be headline hunting on both sides uh, for this kind of thing. The real thing investors need to watch for is May 28th, and that's the day that Valiant is uh, mm-hmm. has said they're going to make an improved bid for Allergan. Yep. Um, now, right now, for those who haven't been watching the story, Valiant offered $48.30 in cash and 0.83 Valiant shares per Allergan share in a big $47 billion bid. How much bigger it's going to be? Who knows? I don't think that much. Valiant is a really disciplined acquirer. Yeah. Uh, they're not afraid to walk away from deals. I used the Teva Cephalon deal. They were chasing Cephalon. Teva came in with a bigger offer. Valiant said, take it. Uh, Valiant's deals are always uh, immediately accretive or near immediately accretive. Now, they go in and they really slash these companies mm-hmm. to the bone. Um, 
and and they're they're good at what they do. I mean, this is how they grow. They grow through acquisition. They've been incredibly aggressive over the past couple of years, but they're not afraid to walk away. So, uh, you know, if if elegant investors are hoping that you know there's going to be a bidding war, there, no white knights have really emerged. Uh, I don't think Valiant's going to blow them away with some sort of crazy second offer. Um, it, it would be an interesting pickup for Valiant. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the deal makes sense. Um, you know, Allergan, besides Botox, which it's famous for, which uh, is still growing like crazy. Um, you know, they have a wet AMD drug, which has been a really profitable market that's in development. That could be a really big seller for them. So I, I think there are some interesting things with Allergan. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just don't know if they're going to bite on, uh, on Valiant's offer. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on to our final tweet of the week, which is Minnesota wins. And they've won Super Bowl LI. And we have a nice picture of their fancy new stadium, which doesn't exist yet and won't exist, I think, for about another two years. I think they're, the Vikings are going to be playing in the cold. Any thoughts on Minnesota hosting a Super Bowl in, uh, was it, 20... Uh, it was 52, so it's probably like 2017, 2018, 2018 um, Super Bowl. Go Panthers. Go uh, Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess my only thought is, is I'm sad Indianapolis didn't win. As, uh, as viewers will find out, I'm an irrational lover of all things Hoosier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm, also, I'm also sad about how cold it's going to be. Because I, I, I looked up the weather. Uh, the Super Bowl was February 2nd this year in New York, uh, which it wasn't actually too bad. I think it was in the high 20s during the game. In Minneapolis... Uh, this February, it was high of 14, low of negative 7. Ooh. Now, it was, it's an indoor stadium. It's a dome, thankfully. But uh, you have to go outside at some point, Michael. Yeah. And uh, that's not going to be fun. So uh, congratulations to Minnesota. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, uh, today's version of uh, Where the Money Is. And Michael and I film daily on a show called Market Checkup as well. So please check that out if you like... Uh, healthcare news and and stay tuned to fool.com as well. For Michael Douglas, I'm David Williamson. Fool on.